Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Running Into the Fog. We are really excited to have our special guest today, Dr. Heather Kenny. Uh, Heather, thank you for being with us. Eric, uh, always a pleasure to have you uh, also on this channel. Obviously, it's our channel, and we do some fun things with it, even in the early going, haven't we? That's right. Yep. Which one is this now that we're, and we're recording this, by the way, we like to spoil the surprise and tell everybody when we're recording this. It's April 29th. 2021. Uh, today, as we're recording this, how many is this now, Derek? This Link is your... number 12. This is number 12, and it will get released on around the 20th of July uh, coming up here in the summer. So uh, we are uh, super excited about what we've done with it so far. And I know we're just getting started. So uh, Heather, you come to us uh, from a unique um, sort of uh, relationship point of view. Your, your daughter, Lauren, actually works for us. Um, and I was asking Warren about this uh, history lesson just to just to make sure I get my dates right. And uh, it turns out Warren was a student analyst with us starting in 2015. She joined as a part-time intern in 2017 and then full-time in 2019. Has yeah. moved up has moved up the ranks as a senior analyst and uh, got promoted in not too distant uh, past to program manager. And she is doing just an amazing job. Uh, in fact, yesterday she moderated her very first webinar through the uh, SLA community. And I tell you, she is uh, mature and capable beyond her, her years uh, as a webinar moderator and in other, every other facet uh, of the work that she does for us. And we're really lucky to have her. Um, well, thank you for those kind words. I certainly respect your good judgment in choosing your team, so. <laughs> I joke. Um, you may know about this book. I do. Um, <laughs> I, I saw it on my desk and Eric knows that uh, it's, it's not really a joke because I like jokes. I like to joke around, but this book is entitled 101 So Bad They're Good Dad Jokes. And Lauren actually got me this book as uh, my secret Santa this past winter uh, here internally within Aurora. And I, I bring it out, uh, what Eric, every couple of weeks, read a joke or two to the team. Thanks again, Lauren, for that <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. So it has made her very popular amongst her coworkers. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Eric, you and, and Heather go back, what, a year and a half or so? Can you, let's start out the session today talking about how that relationship uh, started and kind of what you, you both were up to. Well, I'll kind of leave that to Heather to, to talk about. I don't, I haven't had a chance to talk to you, Heather, since we did that uh, superiority analysis back about December of 2019. And it was me and Kurt and your husband and, and you, and we had just such a great time uh, sort of tearing your business apart and then putting it back together again a little bit. And uh, I think you were in the 30s or 40s. We've done about 60 of these in the last couple of years. And uh, thanks again to Lauren for uh, suggesting that we we do this with you. So I don't know, what, has it had any tangible impact on how you think about, you know, strategy and the, and the growth of the business and, and what you're doing next? Oh, absolutely. Most definitely. That was a really helpful exercise. Um, in fact, I find running into the fog uh, a really interesting and useful analogy, if you will, mm -hmm. As we, we are sprinting straight in headlong. My husband's from St. John's, Newfoundland, and you have not seen fog until you have been on that little island you know, in, the, in the North Atlantic, and it's thick as pea soup. But um, that exercise that, that we went through with you, with Kurt, um, was enormously helpful, I think, in terms of prioritizing. So mm. I know I'll get a chance to share a little bit about the origin of, of my, the business and this particular offering that we've devoted a lot of resources to and so forth. But um, one of the things that I think was particularly helpful was I, I consider myself to be a very innovative thinker and a creative problem solver. And I'm very much a believer in continual improvement. So I'm always looking for how can we make it just a little bit better? How can you know we improve this aspect, particularly in regards to children's learning and so forth? So I also think, however, though, that that strength, which I think is a great strength, 
and is the genesis of the business could also be a fatal flaw. And it could mm -hmm. turn out to be my Achilles heel because, you know, even while I'm thinking about this particular idea and trying to get a project underway, other ideas are germinating. And so your superiority analysis and the discussions that I had with you and Kurt really helped me to kind of narrow that focus. I'm still mm. keeping that journal by my bed, <laughs> making sure I jot down all of those other ideas for future. However, right now we're trying to stay very, very focused on, you know, what is our core message? What is our core product offering and doing the absolute best we can to bring that to life and give it a full opportunity in the marketplace. So. Wow. Well, that is humbling. Thank you, Heather, so much. And please greet your husband for, for me as well. He and I really connected there in that uh, workshop too. Tell us about Sounder. You know, Sounder, I know, has been a project, uh, a mission uh, really of yours for a number of years before we met. But uh, Sounder is now out in the world and, and born as of a few weeks ago. And I just watched the birthday ache actually on YouTube just, uh, just a few minutes ago before we hopped on. And it was, it was super cool to see it. I, I do play my YouTube videos at one and a half times speed so I can watch more in less time. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was fascinating to be reminded again of the characters and, and how you put that together. Tell us about Sounder. Absolutely. Well, if, if I can, I'm going to go back a few years. Um, my background is really as an educator. So educator turned entrepreneur. And I started out as a kindergarten preschool teacher in an overcrowded school in Ontario, Canada. And it was a very interesting situation. My very first year of teaching, I was actually assigned to an overcrowded school. And because it was so overcrowded, they didn't have enough classroom space. So I was hired to work with two other teachers in a kindergarten classroom, which was essentially one of those portable gyms. <laughs> so mm. they put three teachers and 90 kids in this kind of portable gym. You can only imagine what the noise level is like. I think I still have some residual hearing loss from those. <laughs> um, but for a brand new teacher, it could not have been a more amazing and wonderful learning experience because I have these two tremendous role models who are both very experienced. Um, I was very inquisitive, very keen, very excited. And so the kinds of conversations that we could have in the same space, observing the same phenomenon, talking about the same children, knowing the children at the same level are the kinds of conversations that are not typical whatsoever. Uh, they're extremely rare in educational settings, which I think is unfortunate. But for me, it was this really wonderful learning experience. So um, over the course of a couple of years, um, it, it ended up being just myself and Laura Robbins, who was uh, my co-teacher. And we actually chose to stay together and team teach, even once additional space opened up in the school. And Laura, at the time, was going through her master's program. And was we were, we were both extremely keen on teaching our children to read. It was always our belief that the best possible gift we could give our students was that gift of literacy. And we knew we were laying the foundation. And I had graduated from a teacher preparation program and felt really fortunate that it was hired in kindergarten because in those days, kindergartners weren't really expected to read by the end of the year. And I was acutely aware of the fact that I didn't have a clue how to teach them. I absolutely did not know. So thankfully I was in kindergarten because I really didn't, it wasn't the expectation that I had to teach them to read. That was a first grade teacher's job. But Laura and I decided, you know, we're going to do everything we can to prime those kids' brains so that they're ready to go, ready to, you know, to run once they get to first grade. So what, what can we do? So Laura was studying for her master's degree and learned about this concept that is fairly little known in the broader population. Um, and it is only just starting to be a little bit better understood in teaching circles. And that is called phonemic awareness. So oftentimes when we think about literacy, we think about reading, we think of it as a visual skill, right? Most people would agree that it's predominantly a visual skill. You look at the words, you, you, know, you figure out what they say, and, and that's how you read. Well, in fact, those visual skills, even though there's a visual element to it, that is not the most important aspect of reading ability. What is the most important is the ability to hear and play with individual sounds and spoken language. And that is that concept of phonemic awareness. So if we take, for example, we have the word bat, right? It's spelled out by three letters, B-A-T. For a child who is a, an emergent reader, who's just beginning to map those letter symbols onto these, these sounds, first they have to understand that there are three distinct phonemes, if you will, or sounds in that word, the B, A, and T. And it's actually quite sophisticated. You know, that ability to pull apart those individual sounds is, is quite complicated. 
In fact, uh, there's a lot of debate, you know, among teaching circles and so forth, because some of those phonemes actually cannot be pronounced in isolation. So for example, sound b, you know, I, I'm actually adding a tiny little bit of an uh on there, <laughs> which makes it a syllable more so than a phoneme. And yet in our alphabetic language, we represent we represent the sounds in language by phony, not by syllable. So it's important that children can distinguish between those couple of sounds in order for it to make sense how they're represented. So if I see those letters B-A-T, and I'm one of the kid, one of the many children that has difficulty pulling apart those sounds, and my teacher isn't helping me, it, you know, isn't providing the right kind of instruction that I need in order to be able to master that ability, then what do I do? Now I'm stuck trying to memorize the word or, um, and, and we have a limit to our ability to memorize words and art because letters are essentially arbitrary symbols, right? And if we think about all those 26 little squiggles that we have, um, if we think about upper and lower case, now we're up to 52. And if we add cursive, that's another you know, number of symbols. So that, those are a whole bunch of arbitrary symbols that we have to memorize. And when we start putting them into sequences, you know, initially, maybe I'm very precocious and, um, you know, I listen to mom and dad read to me a lot and, and I'm paying attention. But if I can't hear those individual sounds and my brain isn't recognizing how and why those letters are used to represent those sounds, because that's what determines the order in which the letters appear, right? They appear in the order and the sequence in which we say those sounds in a left to right fashion. So if, I, if I'm not able to hear those sounds, if they're all kind of jumbled and muffled to me, uh, then I'm never going to make that connection. It's going to be very difficult for me to make that connection. And I'm going to have to come up with coping mechanisms that are going to be far less effective and that eventually are going to lead to reading difficulty. So I kind of like to think of, um, you know, phonemic awareness. I, I wear glasses. I'm, I'm nearsighted. So I'm looking out my window and I can see my neighbor's house. And, you know, I, I just see this wall of red, right? I can see there's a house, but it's a wall of red. If I put my glasses on, I'd actually be able to see that there are individual bricks. And so the phonemes are essentially those individual bricks. And that's what we need to be able to, you know, to help children hear it. You know, they can hear the word cat and they understand the meaning of the word cat. But can they pull apart that spoken chunk in order to be able to hear those individual sounds? So, so that's the skill that I started to learn about that Laura was learning about. And so she was saying to me, um, at the time, we were teaching a lot of phonics, which is teaching children, here's the letter P. It spells the sound P. Let's listen for words that have the sound P, this sort of thing. Let's use the letter P to spell the sound P. Um, so we were teaching kids a lot of that letter sound correspondence, but we weren't necessarily teaching them how to blend those sounds together in order to be able to read the words. And conversely, to pull those sounds apart in order to be able to spell those words. So Laura said to me, you know what, phonics is great, but kids aren't going to be able to access phonics as an effective reading strategy unless they have these phonemic awareness skills. So this is what we really need to be teaching. And, you know, I was only a couple of years into my career and I said, OK, <laughs> I certainly am not going to pretend I know any better than you. So you tell me what to do. Let's do it. And honestly, it was like magic. Um, about any teacher who has taught at those early levels or, you know, even at higher levels will tell you that there's a typically a solid 30% of your students that are struggling with reading, that are having difficulty. And that is certainly true at the front end and it's often true at the back end. Um, and statistically, quite honestly, we see a lot of students who are coping, but are far less than very proficient. You know, our national statistics suggest to us that 65% of students in the US are reading below proficiency. And that's, those are pretty dismal statistics. But you know, we had certainly seen that. Um, Laura had seen it for 20 years in the classroom. I had seen it for my first few years. But once we really started implementing the systematic phonemic awareness instruction, we just started to infuse all of our literacy instruction with any opportunity we could find to help children develop that ability to hear those individual sounds, to play with those sounds, to manipulate them. And all of a sudden, you know, 95 plus percent of our children were and uh, leaving kindergarten, entering first grade, already reading and spelling, you know, at a very basic level, but already reading and spelling. And so it really did feel like magic. We know that it's in fact science. Um, there's a tremendous body of research that suggests that this particular skill, especially what we call phony manipulation. So if I were to say to you, you know, say the word cat, 
And then I'm going to ask you now change the a ah to o. Oh. Um, and hopefully you're not going to tell me caught. Hopefully you're actually going to say oat as we're talking about, right? <laughs> Good for you. The sounds in the language, yeah. not the words. <laughs> um, and that's actually the example that I use in a lot of teacher trainings to help teachers realize we need to stop thinking in terms of letter names and visual symbols. We need to start listening to the sounds and helping children develop that proficiency. So that proficiency, that ability to switch those sounds and words, um, to delete a sound. So for example, Eric, you mentioned watching Sounder and Friends and our first episode is called the birthday ache because uh, there's a gorgeous birthday cake and the, you know, the birthday boy is excited about his cake. And then our little sound snatcher who's a mischievous little raccoon comes along and steals the first k out of the word cake and all of a sudden he's left with an ache. And so as you notice, we have that sound k. It appears at the beginning and the end of the word cake. It appears at the end of the word ache. All three of those sounds in those three different words are spelled differently, but it's actually the same sound. So that's, that's really the basis of phonemic awareness. So Laura and I had tremendous success with our own students. I, it was really incredible. And for those of us who are in the teaching profession, there is no high in the world like seeing a child succeed, particularly in reading, because you know that reading is the gateway to all content areas. It is, it is the key to unlocking academic success. So there's such a high. It, it was really, really exciting. And we were so excited. We wanted to share this information with teachers in our own district, around the province. At the time, we were teaching uh, in Mississauga, Ontario, which is uh, just outside of Toronto. And so we were trekking around the province doing professional developments and having wonderful conversations with teachers. And all of this information was very well received in the moment. But um, as consultants, I'm sure you know, you, you go out and you do trainings and people might be really fascinated and the information is great. And then they walk away and a day later they think, what was that thing they were talking about? <laughs> it seemed to make sense at the time. <laughs> and that's what we were finding was that, you know, all of these efforts to share this information, um, we weren't seeing we weren't seeing the needle move. And that's what we were most concerned about. And part of the problem too, was that teachers were going back to schools and districts where there was little or no support for teaching in this manner. At that time, and that was you know 20 some odd years ago, uh, most teachers had never even heard the term phonemic awareness. Very few could pronounce it. Uh, the only people that we were really able to have meaningful conversations with about that topic were our speech and language pathologists. Mm -hmm. Happily now, most teachers are very familiar, certainly in the early primary grades, teachers are familiar with it, but we're still noticing that there are a lot of misunderstandings. So back to our classroom, our team teaching situation in uh, Mississauga, Ontario, I, after all these sessions and, and trying to have these conversations and realizing we're just not making the impact that we want to have. It occurred to me that we're standing out on the playground and I said, Laura, you know what we need to do? We need to produce a television program <laughs> because when we had conversations with parents and we'd walk through, you know, here's what's going on with your child. Here's a skill, skill set that we're working on. It made intuitive sense to parents. Teachers kind of had a lot of baggage from their teacher training that suggested all this information about reading as a visual skill. And, you know, we learned to read holistically and all this other theoretical stuff that really, I think, weighed them down. It made it more difficult for them to be receptive to the information. And then, of course, there weren't the supports in place that were needed in order for them to implement that kind of instruction that would really benefit children. So we found it a little bit easier to talk directly to parents. So I said, we need to get directly into everybody's living room. <laughs> Let's just show them. When we just demonstrate it, parents understood it and children understood it. And the first thing she did was laugh really heartily. <laughs> probably took her, you know, a few minutes just to uh, stop laughing. But you probably said, but Heather, we don't know how to produce a TV show. And you probably <laughs> said, let's learn out uh, or something <laughs> along those lines. It's really funny. Eric's had those moments with me too, Heather, times over the years, you know, where he says something, I laugh for a little bit. And then I, I say, hey, that's a pretty good idea. So Laura's response was, I'll tell you what, you just get right on that. <laughs> we'll see uh -huh. where it goes. And, you know, over the course of my career, uh, anytime I 
found someone who had a little bit of knowledge and was any way connected to the television industry, production industry, animation, you name it. Anybody, you know, with half a degree of separation from the entertainment industry, I was picking their brain and, you know, trying, when I went to grad school, um, I used it as an opportunity as a launch pad. So whenever there was an assignment, I would tie it into, you know, how would this fit in terms of, you know, this animated program that we envision. Um, so Laura and I spent about, I think, five or six years actually team teaching in the same classroom and then, you know, situations change and the school demographic changes and so forth. And so we parted ways professionally at that time. Laura went down the route of reading interventionist, so she became a school-wide interventionist, working with small groups of students and really being a very strong proponent within her school board uh, for this type of approach to instruction. In the meantime, I did my master's degree. I worked as a private interventionist uh, with a lot of students who I now recognize as dyslexic because uh, the core deficit among students who are dyslexic is a deficit in this, you know, we've referred to it as a phonological processing deficit, but it's really a problem specifically with phonemic awareness. So I was able to take those skills to work with these students, um, again, having great success. And then I finally um, ended up earning my doctorate in curriculum and instruction with a very strong emphasis in literacy and spent a decade teaching in higher education. But it was really that idea back on the playground <laughs> over 25 years ago, that was the genesis of Sounder and Friends. So as time wore on, anytime I had that opportunity, I'd be talking to people, fleshing it out a little bit further. Um, and when I finally landed at the university that, that I taught at, there was actually an award-winning animation program. And I thought, this is the place that it is going to happen. You know, This is where we're gonna make it happen. And uh, we actually, I actually partnered with some of the faculty members and they were willing to have their students, you know, because of course animation is obscenely expensive and that's always a challenge for entrepreneurs is how are we gonna capitalize this? How are we going to, you know, find the resources that we need to bring our products to the market? And so I had conversations with our animator faculty, animation faculty members. And um, in the end, we realized that if, if you really want a professional quality, you gotta go to professionals. <laughs> There's a reason that there, there are professionals in various fields. And, and that's because if you want something as high quality as what we've been able to produce, you know, you really need to go to those professionals. So that kind of took us down an entirely different route. Um, but I, as I mentioned, I spent 10 years teaching in a college of education in our graduate reading program. I served as, as a graduate head of our reading program, uh, supervised numerous reading clinics and so forth. And, and all the while, it just was this frustration for me. You know, I would often see, I'm sure you've seen this see wonderful parents out with their kids in public, you know, at the grocery store or out for a walk on a bike ride. There was a one dad in my neighborhood who was going for a bike ride with his young daughter and, and they stopped at the street sign and he pointed up to the street sign and, you know, we'll just call it Peach Street. And he said, look, P-E-A-C-H, that says Peach Street. Can you read that? Peach Street. And I thought, my first thought was, isn't that wonderful? What a great dad. A, he's taking his daughter on a bike ride and B, he obviously cares about her literacy development. And then my very next thought was, darn it. <laughs> I, wish if, I wish it wasn't weird and creepy for me to jump in and say, hey, do you know about phonemic awareness? Because, you know, <laughs> it's actually, yeah, you say yeah. It sounds, that's gonna make a lot more sense to your child than, you know, reciting these, the string of letter names. So it, it, it was frankly driving me a little bit crazy that, you know, here's this idea in the back of my mind and, and the sounder um, who is our title character is a little dog who, as you saw, expands and contracts uh, with the sounds and words and so forth. So is a visual representation of those sounds and words without using letter symbols. Because one of the things that we know about working with children who have difficulty in this phonological processing system is that they tend to pay too much attention to the letter symbols because that's what makes sense to them. So they're trying to memorize those letter symbols and they're letting the sounds just kind of wash over them. So we really wanted to make sure that we were presenting a concrete visual representation of those sounds that children, young children might have difficulty hearing, but in a way that didn't involve letter symbols. So that's what our little dog uh, sounder does. But um, anyway, it, I had been teaching for about 10 years um, 
all the while, anytime I got a break in the action, you know, I'd be talking to people that I knew, or, you know, my husband and I would be strategizing, but you know how it is when you have a full-time job, you have a full-time job (laughs) and there's just no way around that. And I loved my full-time job, but I, I was also really committed to finding a way to make this happen because in education circles right now, what we're seeing is this really slow crawl towards evidence-based instruction. In a lot of other fields, there's a recognition, like let's follow the evidence. You know, Hopefully your doctor in medicine is going to read studies and decide this therapy is you know, recommended for these reasons, so I'm gonna do this. In education, we have more of a tendency to rely on past practice, to kind of rely on theory. And it's only now that we're starting to see this sort of gentle, uh, creep towards evidence-based instruction, which is extremely important. And what the research tells us is that when we do provide students with very high quality evidence-based instruction with an extremely strong foundation in these phonemic awareness skills, especially the phony manipulation, then kids have good outcomes. When we don't, when we rely on some of those older theories and models that you know, sound a little bit romantic and teachers are quite familiar with and comfortable with, we don't have those kinds of outcomes. And I do not blame teachers uh, because teachers are incredibly caring. If there's one thing that this pandemic has really reinforced for me, it's that teachers are superheroes and they care desperately about students and are doing everything in their power to give their, their students, their children, the best possible start in life but they're limited by the knowledge base and the skill set that they bring to the table. And unfortunately, we see that in colleges of education across the US, you know, what we refer to as the science of reading and you know, this body of evidence that suggests how we must teach children in order to achieve those successful outcomes, um, that is not widely understood and it's not being widely taught. Um, and and I, I, you know, I'm not pointing fingers at any particular group. Um, I think as a system, we are failing far, far, far too many of our children. Mm. But there's, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. And they're very complex. When you have such a complex system, then obviously, you know, there are a lot of different parts. So I think part of it is that our schools of education need to do a, a better job training teachers. But another part of it is that we know from teacher preparation research is that What happens when, because my situation was very unusual, I went in and I actually taught from the very beginning with two expert mentors. That I'm the only person that I know. (laughs) I have met thousands of teachers and I'm the only person that I know that had that experience. Um, The typical experience is that you're hired, you're put in a classroom, they close the door and you're responsible for those students. And what the teacher preparation research tells us is that regardless of the kind of training they received in their teacher preparation program, those teachers are, when they don't know what to do, they're going to default to the kinds of practices that they experienced themselves as a student. Hmm. So this is a problem, you know, the teachers in the classrooms right now, they, they didn't receive this kind of instruction, the kind of instruction that is really going to impact uh, and accelerate the literacy development of children and catch those children with those phonological deficits and ensure that they have that solid foundation so that reading instruction can be very productive. So we need, we, there are a lot of things that we're, we're going to need to do. But what Sounder and Friends is really intended to do, we have three goals. The first of which is to directly teach young children these foundational skills in a really fun and engaging way. We don't want it to feel like school and hopefully you enjoyed the episode. I (laughs) did, it took me way back. (laughs) That's good to hear Um, because first and foremost, we wanted to make it entertaining because if children aren't entertained, then they're not gonna wanna watch it again. And if we don't have their attention, then we can't teach them anything. So that's one of our goals. But a second goal is to teach parents and teachers a little bit more about phonemic awareness and how it can be taught in a way that doesn't feel like drill and kill. Um, I mean, spoken language is so amazing and playful and magical. I mean, there really is a magic to it. And if I just switch a single sound, um, one of our upcoming episodes is called Wheel Watching. You know, the friends are out on a boat and uh, they're watching whales. And then all of a sudden the sound snatcher comes along and switches that A out for an E. And suddenly, you know, the ocean is full of wheels and what are they gonna do? You know, so it's, there, there is this incredible magic um, and children can have power over that magic if we teach them those skills. So that that was another 
goal of ours is to, you know, enable parents and teachers to understand how to promote these skills in a way that is just fun and playful and captures children's imagination. Let me comment if I can before you continue. And that is, I think what you've touched on there is underappreciated by anyone who has to teach or learn anything. And that is that humans are narrative learners. We learn through storytelling. We don't learn through rote memorization and the drilling that you referred to a second ago. And, um, you know, I spent a good portion of my undergraduate uh, studying Russian. And as we've been talking, I'm like, boy, you know, take a common Russian greeting like Zdrazvutye. Uh, Zdrazvutye. If you sound that out, <clears throat> phonemically, I, I learned Russian through phonemes, not through phonics. Um, and then later, I've spent going to China for about 20 years or so, and I've always struggled with the written part of Chinese. Um, and I can pick up the Mandarin, you know, the tone system and, and all of that fairly easily. But uh, as I've talked to Chinese people about it, they're like, well, yeah, but you want to learn the writing because each character has a sound and the, and the sound of the character is what makes you literate. That's an important element in Chinese education. So I, I interrupted you because I actually think narrative learning and pedagogy, I don't have any other way to say it, but I think it's a national security priority. And I'm sorry to throw that at you, but as we think about the future of our civilization, you know, here in the West, so to speak, we are doing a tremendous disservice by not understanding how people learn and, and do so narratively. So I had, I had to interrupt you, Heather, sorry. Those are great points. I actually jotted down a couple of things to circle back to because I think those are really, really interesting points. And also, can I just say at some point, Eric, I'm gonna to have to introduce you to my dad. He's uh, <laughs> He spent his career as a professor of Russian history who also oh, wow. speaks Russian. And you know how many, there aren't that many people in our good old US of A that, that do speak that language. So I'm sure yeah. he'd love to connect with you. <laughs> what <part of> show? <laughs> In terms of our third goal of the property, which is the most lofty by far, uh, but it really is to turn that national conversation around because every parent that I know understands why it's important to teach children their ABCs, right? Uh, we start doing that with that kids, we start doing that with children almost from the time that they're infants. You know, we start reciting the alphabet song and pointing out letters to them and so forth. And, and all of that is a very good thing, except it's not what is most important about re reading because it's actually, again, you, you pointed it out, as humans, we're storytellers. So that spoken language preceded written language by, you know, by centuries. So written language is really only a means by which we can record our speech. So we need to help children understand that, that speech comes first. We need to be able to hear those sounds in our speech in order to then be able to record them. And once we're recorded, they recorded, we can then read them back because that's how our writing system works. And that is what makes us literate. Um, so our goal is to really, by showing parents and teachers and other lay people, um, what phonemic awareness is through Sounder and Friends, through this really simple storytelling mechanism, we're hoping to kind of shift that national conversation so that the next time I see a, a young mom pushing her kiddo in a grocery cart, instead of just pointing out, oh, look, there's a letter M, you know, we can say, hey, look at that carton of milk. Let's listen for the sounds. Mm, eh, oh. Milk. I hear an mmm sound. Do you hear that mmm? You know, now let's attach it to the letter. What letter do we know that spells a sound mmm? Do you see that letter? So helping to change those conversations. Because throughout my career, I have worked with so many bright people, um, young children, adolescents, even adults, who have struggled with literacy, not because they're unintelligent. In fact, intelligence and reading ability are two completely separate things. They are not, you know, they're not correlated with one another with the exception of the fact that being able to read actually, because we know intelligence is malleable, you know, can help you increase your intelligence because you just learn more, right? You have access to more information. Right. But 
someone who is under literate or you know perhaps has difficulty with spelling and i would i would guarantee in virtually every organization there are individuals who are not who are under literate you know who have spelling difficulties and so forth and you know these are people who have suffered tremendously in their life ours is a highly literate society and in order to have access and to be considered a full fledged contributing respected member of that society you have to be literate otherwise there's this incredible sense of shame that you carry around with you um, what learners tend to do is they tend to internalize it so they consider that you know they think that there's something wrong with them that it's a personal defect that they're unable to overcome and as a result there's a sense of overwhelming shame in fact i believe it was a a German study, and they looked at the shame of individuals with dyslexia um, who especially, you know, suffer from difficulties learning to read. And it was correlated with the same level of shame as those who had been victims of incest. I mean, that is powerful stuff. So if you can imagine what that's like to go through your entire life feeling this sense of shame, feeling like there's this terrible secret that you can't let anybody in on, um, actually, in my last year at the university, before I stepped away to work exclusively on this project, I did a presentation about dyslexia and about learning difficulties and so forth. And uh, a colleague of mine came to the presentation just to be really supportive. And after the presentation said, you know, I came just because I saw your name and I wanted you to have people in the audience. <laughs> I wanted somebody to be clapping for you. Um, and, and you know, he said, I had no idea you were going to be talking about me and, and wow. sharing my life story. Is there hope for me? And so this individual was, you know, very close to retirement. But I said, hey, you know, let's set up a standing appointment a couple times a week. Come on into my office. Let's see what we can do. And sure enough, you know, even at that age. But, you know, that individual's story was so powerful because he estimated that he had probably lost over 30% of his income over the course of a lifetime, possibly more. You know, he thinks that he could have earned, um, I, I apologize, he believes that he had earned only 30% of what he had been capable of. So he thinks he probably could have earned three times as much money in the course of his lifetime, which as we know, I mean, money doesn't uh, buy happiness, but lack of it certainly contributes to unhappiness. So- well, to, uh, that, to that point, before you go on, I just saw a study this morning that suggested that while race is a definite you know, conversation that our country is having right now, in terms of economic mobility, it's really more about class. And so uh, employers, the study I got, I'll try and find it for the show notes so we can link to it uh, when this publishes the summer. But uh, they, they found that an employer during an interview will classify a job candidate within seven words. The first seven words out of your mouth on average, allow the employer to place you in a class category that then leads to whether you get the job or not, what kind of job they offer you, what kind of starting salary you get offered, all the stuff that goes along with your colleague's point around the economic potential of literacy and as a result, uh, class opportunities and mobility. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, Heather. Not at all. These are all really relevant issues. Um, you know, other issues I've talked to, um, another individual who as an adult was coping with low levels of literacy. Um, one, of the, one of the ways we notice this is in people's spelling, because if you don't have that really, if you're not very proficient at being able to hear those individual sounds and the words, your brain is not able to make a map of it, to have a stable representation of that, that you can just pull out at will. So if, you know, if there are folks listening to this podcast and you think, they think to themselves, I have always been a terrible speller and I don't know what the problem is. It potentially could be rooted in, you know, an insufficiently robust levels of these phoneme proficiencies. So we see it both on the reading side, but it's even more exacerbated on the spelling side. Um, and it's all teachable. This is all teachable. Um, but for example, one individual was telling me, um, you know, even though this individual was in a professional position, she said she had tremendous problems uh, in her job and was unable to be promoted and was unable to pursue additional opportunities within her organization because her spelling was so abysmal. And even with spell check, which sometimes, you know, unless you get close enough, 
um, oftentimes it'll substitute the wrong word. And because she had such profound difficulty, you know, recognizing subtle differences in words, she often chose the wrong word. So her emails were sometimes not nonsensical and very embarrassing. She had to have her partner or her kids proofread every email that she sent out for work purposes. She well, was unable to apply for promotion because she knew it would require higher levels of literacy. And, you know, she would be very exposed. Um, another situation in which an individual, um, one of the problems for, for folks who have difficulty with the, the phonological processing system is that foreign names are very difficult, you know, because if you can't hear and sequence those individual phonemes, like you said, Eric, you learned Russian by really paying close attention to those phonemes. But if you can't hear them and discriminate, it's hard to remember what order to put them in. So her boss actually had, a, uh, was married to a woman who was from Africa, I believe, and had a, you know, a, a complicated, uh, for those of us who are English speakers, it felt like a complicated name, and she couldn't pronounce it. And her boss thought that every time that she met her wife, she was either being racist or making fun of her, or you know, it was horrifying. And, or I mean, just didn't care, or just didn't bother to learn how to say it. And you can imagine what that does to the interpersonal dynamic. So, so this, as you pointed out, Eric, this is a much bigger issue. Our goal through Sounder and Friends, we wanna catch kids early on because if we can develop these skills and we can make parents and teachers aware of how important it is that they develop proficiency early on, then children's brains will be primed for reading by the time they get to first grade, kindergarten even, but kindergarten and first grade when reading instruction really begins in earnest, all of that stuff about, okay, how do we spell bat, B-A-T, children are going to understand why it's going to make sense. They're going to be able to create that mental map of, and that process happens very quickly and very efficiently if you have those skills in place. If you don't, you're in big trouble, right? Yeah. You know, school is gonna be a really tough slog for you. And then of course, statistically, we know what happens when kids, you know, suffer and fail and experience great difficulty in learning to read, all kinds of bad outcomes, you know, higher rates of dropout and teen pregnancy and incarceration and, you know, all, all kinds of suicide, depression, um, drug addictions and so forth. So the more literate you are, the better your life, the more likely you are to be healthy, to be wealthy, to be happy and to live longer. Uh, the less literate you are, the worse the outcome. So, so our goal is to capture as many children as possible at that very front end, teach them these skills. Just because you don't have them currently doesn't mean you can't learn them. I mean, I just worked with a colleague who's retired who was able to develop these skills and improve literacy skills. So we can certainly do it with young children. But if we catch them early on and parents and teachers know what to watch for and know how to intervene to help encourage that development in a way that's very playful and fun through storytelling, um, then by the time kids get to first grade, they don't have to experience that reading failure. So, so that's our goal. <laughs> wow. So I've, I've got uh, two things. One, one is a little light humor with a, a quick little Joe Bros story. Uh, and the other is what you're directly talking to, Heather, as it relates to a, a scenario that is in my house, actually, with our little boy. I was going to ask um, about so, Rocky. So um, I'm going to do the funny one first. You know, Eric, you will remember, I've, I will confess, I, I, I can read just fine, but I don't like to read. I, I have to read all sorts of work things. Uh, but Eric knows this about me. God bless Audible the app and the, the apps that come about for people that maybe it's, I, I blame, I don't have enough time to sit down or I, I get too sleepy and I just want to go to bed. Um, you know, a lot of people pick up a book on their nightstand. That's not me. Um, but I'll listen to Audible all day long. And I've ingested actually more books in the last 12 months than I probably had in the prior 12 years. I was going to say you read 10 times more than I do via Audible than I do normally through Urban yeah. So, so, I mean, I've got books on my desk that I buy the hard copy of just because I, I like the nostalgia of having the hard copy. Um, you see some of them up here I on do. my bookshelf, but I, I, I listen to all of them. And, it, you know, it's the, the, the blessing of that is, you know, going back to, let's say it was 1979, 1980, and I didn't have the ability to properly order my alphabet. And you're looking at two guys, uh, Eric, four, four years older, let's say I was five and Eric was nine. and the first moment of entrepreneurship hit the Johnson household. And, and our parents said to 
the younger child, Derek, look, we'll give you five cents or 10 cents or whatever that number was back then for every time you properly order the alphabet in these flashcards. Well, I struggled with that like crazy. And in comes big brother and saying, I'll split that money with you. I'm going to help you do this. And we're going to go like, we're going to go like crazy. We're going to go like crazy. We're going to do this like 20 times a day, make a couple bucks a day and do this until mom and dad figure out that I'm helping you. And <laughs> I forgot all about that. I love it. Oh my gosh. Now, how that translates to me not wanting to pick up a physical book at age 46, I'm not sure. But, you know, going to the more serious point, you may know, Heather, that through Lauren, that my wife and I adopted a little boy uh, almost 18 months ago now. We took custody. A uh, little Rocky, uh, he's three and a half now. He came to us from Seoul, South Korea, had no exposure to the English language at all from what we were told prior to being 24 and a half months old when, when he came to live at our house. And, you know, I have twice a week and I actually do most of them. I've worked it around my work schedule where I'm taking Rocky. This is within the context of a school calendar year, right? Mm -hmm. I take Rocky to a speech therapist uh, up at the, one of the local elementary schools and Rocky goes in speech therapist, you know, even in the COVID, COVID times, she's got a face shield so that he can see her mouth. That's obviously a really important part of it. Um, he goes in, he gets to wear his mask in and out of the building, but he takes the mask off so that she can then also see that the, the, I like what you said, the phenomic, phenomic awareness and manipulation that little Rocky is going through. And it, I got to get him looking at these Sounder and Friends videos because number one, he just loves anything that's animated like that. But I think that it could really help him develop the skills and, and try to do what he can to catch up before he hits kindergarten here in a, another year and a half. Any comment on, on that from, wow, the adoption world could be a massive um, opportunity for Sounder and Friends. Maybe it already is. Um, what do you think about that in the confines of your business model? Absolutely. Well, we are certainly trying to reach every possible market. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, phonemic awareness is particularly relevant to children who are at risk for experiencing reading difficulties. And children in that adoptive uh, category definitely fall into that category as at risk because we know that there's a lot of trauma, you know, early trauma that occurs uh, typically, um, you know, even, even in the best situations, right? And not that that can't be overcome, but, you know, that really does leave um, a, a trace in terms of the, the neural pathways. And so absolutely. Um, and I would love to see, I'd love to talk more with you after the fact, um, if Rocky enjoys the program. Our first episode is currently airing on YouTube. Our next uh, couple of episodes are going to be released in the next couple of weeks. We've got what I consider to be a fabulous theme song that is just delightful, that hopefully like you will really enjoy. <laughs> um, as Eric pointed out, you know, this whole idea of storytelling. So one of the ways that we have tried to capitalize on the human instinct to tell stories and to make meaning through storytelling is, you know, we decided to embed this phonemic awareness modeling and demonstration in the context of a story. So for example, even if Rocky maybe doesn't isn't able to hear the difference between whale and wheel, you know, and hear the individual's phonemes and pull out the A and put in the E, he's going to remember that visual image of, hey, there's a whale and oh no, now all of a sudden it's turned into a wheel. So that so that's one of the things that we're hoping is that children are going to embed those concepts into their imaginative play and so forth. Um, I will tell you, we also have an app that's coming out. And if you're interested in testing, we're gonna go into our testing phase in the next couple of weeks. If you're interested in testing, I would be happy to put you on our list. Um, but I, I really think it's going to be a game changer for parents at home who are concerned about you know, their children or who just want their children to have something that is really high quality and fun and educational to play with. Um, but in particular, in your case, if, you know, if Rocky is working specifically with his speech and language pathologist on, you know, 
forming those sounds and hearing those sounds and, and recognizing those sounds, I think this will be a really great um, supplement. In fact, what the children are going to be doing is actually completing sound puzzles. So, you know, they're going to get to hear the sounds. It's very success based. Um, part of our belief system is that everyone can and should be successful and children are motivated by success. So we want to make sure that every child is in a situation where they can be 100% successful 100% of the time, because if they're not being successful, then it's all of a sudden is then it suggests to me that the instruction isn't on target, right? And, you know, I always tell teachers that, you know, assessment is different. When we want to see what children can do, then we give them a task and we step back and watch what they do on their own. But instruction, children should be 100% successful in an instructional situation. And I consider anything that's home-based to be instructional. So if a child is floundering, we should be stepping in and giving them supports. You know, if they're not able to do it on their own, that means they don't have the right support structure in place. So either the task is far too difficult or, you know, we're not providing the right kinds of supports. So that's our goal, you know, through the app, through the program is to make it very fun. Children can engage with it at whatever level they are able to. So younger children, so like Rocky, for example, maybe he's just going to enjoy the colors and watching those objects, what happens in the episodes. Um, hopefully anyone listening to this will go and check it out on, on YouTube. But what happens in the episodes is that, you know, the whale, for example, we hear the three sounds, whoop, a, o, and that image of the whale is represented in three different colors, which then split into these swirls of sounds, each of which are represented by, you know, these distinctive colors. So, so, you know, maybe Rocky initially is just going to enjoy the visual imagery and, you know, see the colors being moved around and so forth and remember the whale and the wheel. But then as he matures and is able to hear those sounds a little bit more, then he's actually going to be engaged in the segmenting himself and the blending back together and so forth. So we really are trying to capture all of those audiences really from, from age about three years old, probably to seven. Uh, we've actually tested it and done some beta testing with groups of second graders. And it seems to be equally popular among that group, but possibly for different reasons, because I think it reaches children at a variety of different developmental levels. But please, um, Derek, you know, if, if you would like to continue this conversation specifically about your son offline, I would be more than happy to do that. Yeah, let's absolutely do it. It sounds like you're, you're doing great thing, all the right things with them, which is wonderful. We're, we're trying. Annette. That kind of brings us to a close uh, in terms of where people should track you down, Heather. And obviously, you've got a couple of fans here in the Johnson Brothers. Um, and as we help to kind of spread your message and and uh, the blessing, I think, uh, is the only way I can describe it, of, of what you do. Um, Innovation Unleashed is the name of your company. They can track you down. Unleashed Innovation, right. Unleashed Innovation. Thank you for correcting me. That's even better. Unleashed Innovation. Uh, look that up. And then uh, Sounder and Friends on YouTube and the app stores of your choice. Absolutely. And we're also very active on social media. So, um, you know, anytime you want to have a look for either Unleashed Innovation or Sounder and Friends, um, you know, please check us out. Our, our bigger, broader mission with Unleashed Innovation is really to support learners at every stage of their literacy development, whether that's, as we mentioned, you know, adults in uh, government situations who are less than literate, who we need to be sure have the capacity to keep our nation safe, um, or whether it's young children or schools and districts trying to provide the best kind of instruction. So um, would love to engage with anybody who's interested in learning more. <laughs> Heather, thank you so much for being on Running Into the Fog uh, this time, number 12. Uh, and Derek, always a pleasure, uh, little brother. Um, thanks again, everybody. We hope you'll join us next time. Uh, and go check out Heather Kenny, a uh, very exciting uh, person doing some amazing things in the world. And I uh, can't wait to see what Sounder's up to next on YouTube. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Heather. Really a pleasure. Thanks, Eric.